Today we're looking into 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. I've entitled this Elijah and his dramatic departure, or uh, Elijah and his departures. Uh, he departs from several different places in this passage of Scripture, and you're going to you're going to hear it, and it sounds very similar uh, in in three different locations. But I want us to look at the fact of Elijah and Elisha and their relationship. And as we look at that, uh, we're going to see what it means to be an, a master and an apprentice, a mentor, and someone who is looking up to that individual, someone who's being trained or led. And we see that in the life of Elijah and Elisha. And that's, it's a lot of fun when you got two words that are real, two names that are real close to one another. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, we had a family up the street, and they had two children, and uh, we were real good friends with the family, but the names are very challenging. They named their son Kyle, and they named their daughter Kyla. So it was very challenging at times. You had to make sure you emphasized that last part. And uh, they're a wonderful family, loved them very dearly, but it just made it a little challenging. You know what I mean? Well, here we are with Elijah and Elisha. And as we walk through this life, you know, we know, uh, our time to depart and go on to be with the Lord progressively gets closer. You know, it does. It's just inevitable. The, every day that we're on this earth is one day closer to when God calls us home. And although we do not know the day or the hour, we do know inevitably our time to depart from this earth will come. And as we walk in this life, we should desire to live lives similarly to that of Elijah and Elisha. Both of them were very devoted to the Lord, very committed to the Lord, and they were committed to the work of the Lord. And that's the way we should be. At some point in our lives, though, we are the mentor. We are the leader, kind of like Elijah was in this scripture as we're looking at today in this account, guiding the younger generations into the maturity of faith and wisdom. We, when we are in that mentor leadership, and it doesn't matter whether we are or not, we should be pursuing holiness and love in Christ's likeness. These should be evidenced in our lives. And we evidence this in our daily walk with the Lord. At other times, we're much like Elisha. You know, we, we follow in the path of those that are our mentors or our masters. And we follow them, wanting to glean every bit of knowledge and wisdom that we can from them while we still have them with us. We should draw close and in appreciation and devotion to our, it could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be an aunt or an uncle, it could be someone within the church. It could be leadership within the church. It could be anybody. But we should draw close to them uh, and, and, and glean from them everything we can that would be beneficial to our growth in faith and Christ's likeness. And today, as we look into this text from 2 Kings 2, we see how Elijah and Elisha interact as they depart uh, to Bethel, to Jericho, and then Elijah on to heaven. And we find two men with God's calling on their lives, who had invested in one another and in others. Where do we find ourselves in this life? Where do we find ourselves? Are we investing in the lives of others before we're called home? Or are we just floating about in life without a vision for the next generation or generations? We need to find ourselves reinvesting ourselves or investing ourselves in other people. As we follow after Christ, we follow hard after him. Let's look here in this passage of Scripture, looking at verses 1 and 2 of Elijah chapter, uh, excuse me, not Elijah, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, looking at the life of Elijah 
And uh, verse 1 and 2 says this. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. This is departing from Gilgal to Bethel. The author of 1st and 2nd Kings is never explicitly told in any of these passages, in, in any of the books. But it's understood that Jeremiah quite possibly was the author of 1st and 2nd Kings. But anyway, when we, when we read this, right there at the beginning of verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. There's an understanding that people knew this was about to happen. The author had an idea. Elijah had an idea that his time on earth was about to end. I don't know if he knew that it was going to end in such a dramatic way or not, but he knew his time on the earth was closing. God had called him, as we looked back a few weeks ago, to go out and find Elisha and throw his mantle on him. You remember we talked about that? He went by and he just seemed like nonchalantly tossed it on him. And Elisha says, let me go tell my parents what's going on. And, uh, and, and he goes, and, and Elijah says, what's that to me? You know, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, Elisha goes back, tells his parents, kills, kills the, the cattle that were driving the, the, the plow. He, he breaks down the plow and burns it all, burns the plow and uh, cooks the meat, feeds everybody in his town, and then follows after Elijah, which is a significant statement saying that I have committed to give up all that I had to follow after what God's got for me to let you be my mentor. And you and I, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are to burn the things of the world, pass those things away, and follow hard after Christ. And that's what Elisha did when he surrendered to the call that God had put on him through the prophet Elijah. Well, we find Elijah and Elisha leaving from Gilgal to head to Bethel. And Elijah pleads with uh, Elisha to stay in Gilgal. And in some commentaries, this is seen as Elijah's way of testing uh, Elisha's commitment to stay with him. And we can see in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 20, where Elisha says, I will follow you. Elisha tells Elijah, I will follow you. And in three different times, we see Elijah telling Elisha, Stay here. Stay here in Gilgal. Stay here in Bethel. Stay here in Jericho. And three different times we also see, um, we see Elisha saying, no, as your soul lives and as the Lord lives, I will follow you. And he is reemphasizing and recommitting himself to Elijah and to the call that God had put on him through him. As I've read through, Gilgal has an understanding as a place of beginning. This is the beginning of Elijah's walk to, to finish up his life. This is the beginning of the end. You probably heard the song possibly by David Phelps. This is the uh, end of the beginning. And so uh, this is kind of what Elijah is doing. He's saying, this is the conclusion of my life, and I'm beginning this walk in Gilgal. And uh, according to Joshua 4, Gilgal was where the children of Israel camped just after they crossed the Jordan into Canaan. At Gilgal, the Israelites stood on the verge of battle, listening to Joshua, their commander-in-chief, give the final directions and strategy which God had given him. This was the beginning of Elijah's final journey. 
What a life, what a journey that Elijah had had. We look back through those beginnings when, as we reference back and think about Joshua giving that direction, this was the beginning of the march into the promised land for, for the Israelites. God, Gilgal signifies a beginning. And this is what we understand and take from this. It's also the beginning of the walk, the final walk that Elisha has with his mentor. It's the beginning of that final walk. What we will see recurring in this text today is that testing of Elisha's commitment. And as I said, he repeats that phrase, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you, is what he says. I will not leave you. Elisha was wholeheartedly committed to Elijah in the call of the prophet by the word of the Lord. His persistence in remaining with Elijah demonstrated here, as we read that, passed the test of faithfulness, characterizing him as a suitable successor to Elijah. He says, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. You know, it's a beautiful reminder, too, that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. With the knowledge of the time that, that uh, his master had on this earth, Elisha obviously had come to this same conclusion. Had been, We don't know if it was revealed to him through a prophetic vision or what, but Elisha also knew that it was coming the time for Elijah to move on, for him to move on, not just to a different location, although he's moving from place to place. And we'll see there's many reasons why he moved from, this, from one place to the next. But we see there's, he's moving on to the conclusion of his ministry and life on this earth. And Elijah is, is talking to Elisha along the road. For you and I, we have special people in our lives, don't we? We have special people that we walk through in this life. And in those relationships, we need to glean from them knowledge and history. We need to take in their wisdom and apply it to our lives. We need to see how they are interacting with others. Elisha is with Elijah. And he's like, look, I'm not letting you leave without me being there. There's a couple of different reasons why we possibly could conclude. We find out later the ultimate reason why. But we also understand that, you know, sometimes you just got this bond with somebody and you want to be there with them. You want to glean from them everything you can. And hopefully you've got some kind of spiritual mentor in your life. And you just want to sit underneath them or, or walk with them. Today, we don't have the benefits to some extent as they had back then. And you may say benefits. I thought a car was a great benefit. I, I thought an airplane was a great benefit. It is. But in those cars, along, along with that came, has come lots of technology even sitting in the same car, all four people could be listening to very different things. They've got their headphones in their ears. They're listening to something very different. People are totally disengaged in the relationships with one another in the car. All right? But when they walked, they didn't have headphones back then. Okay? They didn't. They didn't have an original AirPod. You know, there was no such thing. Uh, matter of fact, if you, if you kept up with any news, today was uh, this, final, this past week was the final week that the iPod uh, would ever be updated or created anymore. They, they wiped it out. They're done with it. They're not doing anything else with iPods. You either have an iPhone or an iPad or an iThis or an iThat or whatever. you got some kind of i. Um, but you've got, they, they've, they've concluded that and said that that's done. But anyway, we, when we think about walking from place to place, these were, these were long distances that they walked. They walked long distances to get from place to place. So they had plenty of opportunity to talk and get to know one another and understand 
you know, what was going on in each other's lives. They were able to pass down things that needed to be passed down from generation to generation so that that knowledge could be retained. You know, much of history is passed down audibly. It's been passed down from one generation to the next by speaking it to one another. And then as, uh, as obviously we have writings to, from this point and even earlier back, we have written accounts of history. But much of history was recorded through uh, communication by voice. Today, that's going to be difficult, right? We're not talking as much as we should, but we see that in this relationship, they were talking, they were building that relationship. And we can observe the relationships between these two men and see how we too need to be committed in our relationships. We should, when the relationship is healthy, stay close to those that can make us better people for the glory of God and the betterment of the lives around us. We need to be close to them. With Gilgal signifying a beginning, the next move is to prayer. Much like in our own lives with Christ, once we begin that relationship, the relationship continues in prayer. So they're moving from Gilgal, the place of beginning, to Bethel, which Bethel is, means the house of God, but it's also a place of prayer. And so as we look at this second point, we're departing from Bethel. We've gone from Gilgal to Bethel, and now we're going from Bethel to Jericho, from Bethel to Jericho. So Bethel, Elijah's next stop, was the place of prayer. Bethel means house of God. This is where Abraham built an altar and where he often met with the Lord. If you were to look back over to Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, we'll start back into verse 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. We see that this is the house of God. And Abraham uh, built this altar, and he often met with the Lord there. In Bethel, Jericho, and Gilgal were the prophets of God during the time of Elijah. Let's look there in those verses, verses 3 and 4. It says, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And Elisha said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But Elijah said to him, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So they're going from Bethel to Jericho. And Bethel, Jericho, and Gilgal were the prophets of God. If we go back, several sermons back, several scriptures back, we remember where Obadiah, remember he was hiding the prophets of God in the mountain, 50 over here and 50 over there? That's these prophets. He was hiding them so that Jezebel would not kill them. So here we find these guys in their schools, if you will, and quite possibly Elijah was going to these school of prophets these seminarians, if you will, to talk to them about what the Lord was going to do next, how, how Elisha was going to be taking the mantle of being the prophet. We don't know exactly everything Elijah was telling them, but we know he went strategically to these cities, to these towns where these schools were located. 
And these schools are similar in nature to our seminaries today. So although we know people received God's calling on their lives, even then they were being educationally trained for ministry. Even then, in the Old Testament, they had prophets being trained at schools to go out and preach the gospel. This is not something new, folks. In our Southern Baptist Convention, we have six seminaries across the United States. These seminaries are New Orleans, Southwestern, Southeastern, Southern, Midwestern, and Gateway. All across the United States, these are spread out. Our Southern Baptist Convention seminaries, when we give to the cooperative program, which we do, when we give to the cooperative program, that money is divided out amongst those seminaries to help support those men and women that have been called by God to serve in vocation or bivocational roles to go on and serve in the field. And so that's part of our giving goes to that. So we can see that even in the Old Testament, they had these schools of prophets, schools of preachers. They're being trained. And Elijah is going to these schools to encourage them before he goes on. I mean, you, you remember, these guys, they knew who Elijah was. They knew who Elijah was. His reputation preceded him. So if they were to hear out of the blue that Elijah's gone, that could have been very discouraging. But yet Elijah goes to these, to these seminaries, if you will. I'm going to use that language, although it's not really used here. But he goes to these schools where these seminar, seminarians are located, and he encourages them before God takes him out and departs, and Elijah departs from this earth. You know, when I mentioned those six schools, I myself was trained through New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So when you, when you think about giving to your cooperative program, and as we give to that, as that's distributed as part of our, once we give of our tithes and offerings, and that's distributed, part of what you gave helped to supply me with the education that I have. Although I was not attending here, you still had a part in my education. And when we think about that, that's big. We could be a part of people being encouraged and financially supported because we give to the cooperative program. And it's important. It's a part of why we give. It's not the whole, but it's a part. And not only that, we've, we just went through Easter where we talked about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And we're still, you know, if you have not given yet, there's still time to give. We still haven't quite got to our goal. I'd love to see us do that. But if you have not given, you can still give. But that goes to support our North American missionaries, which is different. And then when we give at Christmas time, that's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that money is, is taken and distributed amongst our international missionaries across the globe. So you've got Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which is for North American missionaries. Lottie Moon, because she served in China, if you didn't know that. She served in China sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that goes to those international missionaries. And then the cooperative program goes in to fund these, help fund these seminaries so that your pastors, previous pastors, and, and however the Lord sees fit for youth pastors to come or music ministers or whatever it may be, their funding is, is helped out through that. So understand they had schools back then just as we do now. But anyway, getting back to the text, I got a little off there. But these young ministers come out. They see Elijah coming up. Oh, would you not be taking, uh, taking uh, a fancy to see a great prophet come in? You know, I mean, if Billy Graham were to come into this church, now we know he's gone on to be with the Lord, but if he were to be here, 
or some of these other very prominent, Billy Sundays or, or uh, Vance Havner or, or some of these other guys that have come before us that were great preachers, if they were to come in, you'd say, man, I'd really like to meet them. We'd all rush out to meet them, you know? We'd want to see them and greet them and, and, and be intrigued by them and see what they have to say. Well, this is the same thing. These guys come out. But, you know, they were... Prophets were held at an even higher status. They were like, we're not even going to go talk to him. We're going to talk to Elisha. So they go talk to the apprentice. And they say, hey, you, you know, uh, look there. It says, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you, from over you today? And Elisha says, yes, I know. Keep silent. He's like, I don't want to hear that right now. You know, be quiet. I don't want to hear that right now. Uh, just, just, just go back to your studies right now. I'm trying to hang out with him and just take every moment Cherish every moment I've got with Elijah. He says, they say, keep silent. Then Elijah says to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But Elisha responds and says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they walk together to Jericho. So what, what can we take from this? How, how can we, I mean, like this doesn't seem like it's very applicable to us, but there's a few things that I saw as I was reading through this and studying. The best relationships are made through life experiences together. Right? The best relationships are made through life experiences together. As a youth pastor that I've been for so many years, uh, taking youth on youth camps and things of that nature and mission trips and stuff like that, man, that blessed my heart. I've got all kind of great memories from those. I've got memories of going on mission trips. I've been uh, to Mexico and to Brazil and, and then back to Mexico again and going to Brazil and going into those homes and sharing the gospel. I had no clue what a lot of them were saying because they were speaking in Portuguese. Praise God, we had translators. But uh, being able to share the gospel with them and going into these homes, and many of them I'm still friends with on Facebook and Instagram, so I still have relationships with those that are overseas in Brazil. And that was pretty amazing. And, and those that went with me on those mission trips, man, we've got great memories, great memories of those times. I've got great memories of events that we've done, whether it be... Um, when I was at Fairview Heights Northside or West Park Heights or Farmstead Baptist or even the memories I've got with y'all in the short time I've been here. Man, I'm telling you, we've got these memories because we have life experiences with one another. And when we read of Elijah and Elisha and observe their time being spent together walking these paths, we can conclude that much wisdom is being imparted in these journeys along the way. A lot of wisdom is being imparted. And I want to encourage each and every one of us, when we think about this, this walking along the way, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it talks about that from a parental perspective. And it tells us this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Hey, look at there. And you shall, uh, and, uh, you shall bind them on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, we are to impart the wisdom and the knowledge of the word of God into that next generation. That is our calling, parents. More than our calling is to uh, make, get them to a point where they make lots of money, more than the point where they play lots of sports, where they do everything else. Our calling in life is to impart spiritual wisdom 
and to put them as close, if you will, on the front porch of salvation as we can. That's what God calls us to do. We are the number one mentors of our kids. Number one. We are the first people they look to as role models. We are the first people they look to as examples. What are they seeing? And whether that be from a parental or a grandparent or great-grandparent, what are they seeing in our lives? What is, what is the staple of priority in our lives, in our homes? And listen, I'm not pointing the fingers at you because I've fallen short myself. And I think if we all evaluate our lives, we all could be better, right? We all could be better. I'm not here to beat you up, but I'm just speaking the truth. I could be better. We all could be better. And, and listen, it might not be that you just have like your kids. It could be you've got somebody else's kids. There's plenty of families today where grandparents are raising their kids. Listen, just be the greatest influence and model and example you could be. Your situation, you might not have been able to control that. But yet you can control your situation today. You can, you can speak life into those that you have influenced today. Don't think that it's passed me by. No. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, you've got an opportunity to speak into the next generation in one way or another. If you've got a social media platform, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, you have a platform there. What are you posting there? That's an extension of who you are. Don't, don't, think, don't think that if, if it don't come out of my mouth, uh, don't think that what comes out of your thumbs is not what comes out of your heart. Because it is. We need to be mindful of that. Be mindful of that. Don't think you can hide behind a screen and say what you want to say. It's a dangerous place. A lot of people in our culture today think that. We've got to be able to be who you are all the time. Live in faith. Be a mentor. Be a leader as Elijah was and is. And as we look at this, they depart from Jericho and they begin to head down to Jordan. With Jericho signifying a place of battle. We know Jericho is a place of battle, right? We think about that. That's where uh, Joshua fought that battle. And uh, that's, that was the beginning where they began to move on into that promised land and take the land that God gave them. With Jericho signifying a place of battle, Elijah and Elisha travel on to Jordan, which was a place of death. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8. It says, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. So here they are, these seminarians have run back out, and they're, they're saying the same thing. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me onto the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So here we have the account of uh, the men. They're leaving Jericho and heading down to the Jordan. It's not too far. This distance is not, obviously, because the seminarians, the 50 seminarians, the sons of the prophets, are looking out and they could see them heading down that way toward the Jordan. They could see them. 
So Elijah arrives here at Jericho, the place of battle. Jericho was the place where God's people had driven a formidable wedge into the opposition. Here we can visualize Elijah recalling or recollecting the battles of the Israelites and the victories they had experienced. So I would imagine also Elijah is recalling all the victories and the battles that he had overcome. Whether they, they might not have been like swords and spears and things like that, but the battles that he had in life, being running from Jezebel, living by the ravens in the brook, and then going on and, and living by the supply of God, by God giving them what they needed there in Zarephath. And then him going on and stay, being able to stay alive and stand before Ahab and, and handle that situation as well. We see where he is probably thinking back of all the battles and the victories. And he and Elijah talking about that as they make their way down to the Jordan River. And I'm wondering if Elisha, then all these, these guys are coming out. And here's more, 50 more prophets coming out. I'm wondering if he's thinking, oh, goodness, I hope they don't, I hope they don't say what the last guy said. Here they come. They're like, hey, do you know that your prophets can be taken away from you? He's like... I know, keep silent. You know, remember like I said, I think, I think Elisha is now picking up a little bit of Elisha's uh, uh, thought pattern because he, he, he had been in his tutelage, if you will, for so long. And, and Elisha was kind of, uh, he had a very interesting personality. So I think Elisha had that same thing. So over they came, they asked the question. He says, yeah, I know, keep silent, keep silent. You ever had people like this? You ever had folks like this? You love them, you care about them. I'm sure he wanted the best for those sons of the prophets. But they come over and they ask trivial questions and oftentimes redundant questions. Of course, these guys didn't know that they had just come from another town where the same question had been answered or the same question had been asked. Um, how many of you have kids? Okay, yeah. You've had trivial questions, redundant questions asked. You know, you've already told them one thing. You know, they come out and ask you a question. You know, it's okay. Just keep asking. My dad always told me there's no dumb questions. As a grown-up, I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I'd ask Dad questions from time to time about, you know, what are you doing here, Dad? What, what does this do, you know? And Dad, and I, I said, I'm, I don't mean to ask him any questions. And Dad said, no, ain't no dumb questions. Keep asking questions. My dad worked on a lot of cars. He rebuilt vehicles, he and my uncle. My uncle did the painting. My dad did all the body work most of the time. So Dad would be down there taking things apart. And I'd be like, what's this, Dad? What's that, Dad, you know? And... uh and so uh, I got to see that firsthand and ask a lot of questions. And, and these guys come out, and they're asking questions. It's okay to ask questions, okay? If your kids are asking a lot of questions, be glad they're inquisitive. If not, they might be just sitting in their rooms not learning anything. You know, it's good. Let your kids be around you. It may feel like a little frustrating at times, but listen, one day they ain't going to be there. They're not going to be there to ask you questions. They're asking other people questions. So while you have time to answer the questions from your perspective and from what you've grown up on and what you know, answer them. Answer them. Take them back to the Word of God. Don't, don't be upset with them if they ask questions because one day they may not choose to ask you questions. They ask the wrong person. They get an answer that goes completely opposite from what you, what you believe and think. But yet you push them away while they were asking questions. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Let's, let's, let's be open and in grace and kindness, you know, uh, respond as we need to. Elisha knew that very soon his time with his master will end, but he wants to absorb again every moment he has. Elijah asks Elisha again to stay behind, but Elisha refuses. He says, no way. I'm not staying back. I'm going with you all the way. I want to be there when the Lord takes you. However that may come, I'm going to be there. And upon their arrival at the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his cloak. He rolls it up into a bundle, 
And I don't know how big or thick. I'm thinking it's probably going to be pretty thick because, I mean, I mean, they wore heavy stuff back then. So he, he takes it off, and he rears back, and he strikes that Jordan River, and it parts. And they walk across. And, and it's interesting where this takes place. Do remember, the 50 seminarians are standing back here, and they can see them from a distance. What is this saying? Elijah is saying, look, the power of God is still alive. He's still with me right now. He's still with me. And he can do great and miraculous things even now. And he wants not only Elisha to see it, but he knows those 50 guys that are learning are seeing it. Listen, when we do great things for God, we're not doing it for our glory. We're doing it so they can see his glory. When we go out and we ask God, may I do great things for your name? It's not for my name. We go out and we should desire to do great things. But we don't do them for our name to be great, but for his name to be great. For people to realize the power is still there. God is still all-powerful. And Elijah strikes that water and it parts. And, he, and they walk on a cross. And they walk on a cross. And this is uh, not only allowed for this passage, but... It assured all of their walk in righteousness of God. Just as Moses and Joshua had crossed through waters by the splitting of waters, Elijah parted the waters with his mantle in like manner of Moses. And so we see here the power of God is still here. And from here, Elisha and Elijah are recalling the miraculous workings of God from the battles to the healings, from the supplying to even the fireballing, if you will, of when they of when God sent the fire to, to lick up all that water. And then as they arrive to the Jordan, and they see the Jordan plain on the horizon, Elijah remembers the death of himself, of surrendering himself to the call of God. And this is the place where he died to his own wishes. He died to his own will, and he died to his own plan, and surrendered his, he surrendered uh, the strength of his flesh to, the, to God. And this is where he learned to submit, wait, and obey. You know, when we recall in our final moments the joys and victories of the battles of this life, we can recall how God sustained us and delivered us time and time again. We also cannot go to our grave without sharing this testimony. We don't need to go to our grave keeping the things inside of us that God has given us, God has blessed us with. Pass that along. I was talking with somebody the other day um, about... Uh, we were, mom and dad had come up last week and we had eaten, uh, we had eaten lunch and they were about to head back to Anniston. And dad looked across there from that Jack's here in town and he saw that, that fighter jet that sits over there from the VFW. And he saw that fighter jet and he said, you know what? He said, that looks just like the jet that I worked on at the Air Force Base in Florida. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you know what about that airplane? He said, they took that plane and it became a Blue Angels airplane. And I was like, you've never told me that before, Dad. That's pretty cool. You know what I mean? He said, that was my jet. That was the jet I worked on. And you know, listen, while you've got your family members with you, while you've got them with you, I mean, that wasn't a spiritual thing, but it was something about my father that I didn't even know. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. My dad worked on a plane. It was a Blue Angel, you know, puts a little... There's a little bit more pride in there, you know what I mean? That's pretty neat, you know? And, and I mean, when we talk with our parents, when we talk with our grandparents, when we talk with people that's in this congregation that maybe has seen God work and move in mighty, powerful ways, take note of that. Take note of that. 
Remember those things. And this is Elisha. Elisha's like, man, I've got to remember that. And, and we as individuals, we need to pass those things along. We must pass along the good news of God's faithfulness and power. This is the Elijah perspective on this path. You know, we need to walk and listen to those coming to the end of their earthly life. We need to take in all they afford to share with us in those waning days of their earthly life. We cannot just allow them to fade off from our memories and lives without reaching out and recording their history. And this is the Elisha perspective on this path. We need to be absorbing and taking that in. And Elisha most likely realized what Elijah was doing from the meaning of the locations in which they were leaving and arriving. Going from Gilgal, the beginning. They're going to Bethel, the house of God. They're going from Bethel down to Jericho, the place of battle. They're going from the place of battle of Jericho down to Jordan to the place of death. I'm sure he recognized that. We, we can recognize that in our, in our lives and in our family members' lives as they begin to walk that path of life. We need to be listening. We need to be observing, taking in, absorbing those blessings of those senior saints, our family members, our loved ones. We need to be taking that in as much as we can and absorbing that. And then lastly here in verses 9 through 14, departing from Jordan to heaven. Look at verses 9 through 14. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So Elijah said to him, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I have taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we look there, we start there in verse 9. And Elijah turns back to him. They've crossed over. He struck the water. The water's parted. He crosses over. And he looks back. And he looks back. And he asks Elisha, Elisha, what is it that you want from me? And Elisha says, I want a double blessing. I want a double blessing right, right here. And, 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 um, and, Elisha, and Elijah goes, that's a hard thing to ask. That's a hard thing to ask. Now, why would he say that? Well, this is the thing. Number one, Elijah is not the, the authority of how much blessing he has in the first place, is he? He isn't. Who is, who is the one who has the authority to even give Elijah the, the, the blessing? That's right. It's God. So he says, you ask a hard question. I can't guarantee nothing like that. I'm just a man. Now, God's put his blessing, his anointing on me, but, but I'm just a man. I can't guarantee you that, but if you're here when this happens... That must be God's will and God's desire for you to be the next and for you to receive it. So if it happens, it happens, basically is what he says. If you're here when the Lord comes to get me, fine. But if not, I don't know what to tell you, but you know, just, just keep hanging out with me. 
keep spending time with me. So what happens? They turn around. They start walking. They start walking. And, and uh, then all of a sudden, it says there, it says uh, in verse 11, and then it happened as they continued on and talked. You notice that? They're still in that mentor or master and apprentice prophet stage. They're still talking. Then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went by a whirlwind into heaven. I mean, can you even fathom what this was like? Elisha saw it and he cries out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Can you imagine what that's like? All of a sudden the skies part and these chariots come down. And, and to me, I mean, I think I've seen a, I think I've seen an old movie of this. Maybe you have too. I can't recall. But, but these chariots of fire are like circling Elijah. It's separating him from Elisha, which I believe is a picture of saying, listen, I'm separating him unto me, and he's going on to heaven, but I'm separating you, and you're not being hurt. You're not being hurt. Just as I'm protecting Elijah inside the fire, I'm, I'm protecting you from the fire. And you're outside, and I'm going to protect you from it. And I'm going to keep you, but I'm taking on. I'm taking Elijah on with me, and I'm sending, Elisha, uh, I'm sending you, Elisha, on. And you know what? He didn't burn up his mantle, did he? No, he didn't. It dropped on down. The whirlwind brought him up, you know, the whirlwind. I mean, could, I mean how wild. Can you even imagine this? I mean, I, this is like sci-fi fiction right here. But it's real life happening. Chariots of fire circling him. A whirlwind comes down like a tornado. They ain't in Kansas anymore. And up goes Elijah up into heaven. And Elisha takes off. He's like, he's like, here it is. And he picks up that mantle. And he asks the question, is the God, he asks the question, let's look over here. Uh, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's not doubting him. I don't believe he's doubting him. He's just saying, is, is he going to be with me? Is he going to be with me? Did this double portion fall to me as I requested? Is this how it's going to be? And so he picks up that mantle. And I want you to understand the power of God is not in the mantle. The power of God is in the man. We see this and he's taken up. And we know that Enoch is the only other person that did not taste death and was taken on up into heaven. I heard one commentator say that God spoke to Enoch and said, hey, you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you come on home? You know, and that's kind of how I feel like with Elijah. He says, look, you're, you're, you know this was coming. Now you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home? And so here he is. Elisha was shocked, amazed by the shouting, by his shouting and exclaim, exclaiming at the sight that he saw. Elisha tore his clothes. He tears his clothes. And, and because he's in grief, because he's lost his master, but yet he's, he's not like, he's not bewildered to the point of depression, but he's just, he's losing his master. And just as you and I have, we've, we've lost people that are near and dear in our lives and we should grieve. The Bible never tells us not to grieve the loss of someone who is near and dear to us. It is absolutely 100% different. I mean, it's, 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 it does not say that, that you cannot grieve. You should absolutely grieve the loss of a loved one. The loss of a loved one. But we must also Go on in the name of name of God. Specifically, if we know they're in heaven. If we know they're in heaven, God gives us that assurance and that hope. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians. We don't grieve like that. 
we can go on about our lives confidently knowing that God has taken care of those that, that uh, he had called out and saved. But he grabs up that mantle. Elisha walks back to the Jordan. He asks the question. He strikes it, and God was still there. God was still there. Elisha's question does not, did not seek information but confirmation. Had the divine power so evident in Elijah's ministry been transferred to him? Yes, it had. The Lord authenticated Elisha's succession to Elijah's ministry and demonstrated that in the same divine power that had accompanied Elijah's ministry, and it was now operative in the ministry of Elisha. Now, how do we apply this? You know, we're not picking up mantles and striking water and things of that nature. I'm not saying that can't happen again, but, but I've never seen it happen in my lifetime. But how do we apply this passage of Scripture to us? We may ask, we, we may ask special things of those that mentor us, maybe even spiritual things, but the ultimate, ultimate decision maker is God in our lives. I want us to take from this that there are no mom-called preachers. There are God-called preachers. I've seen many of people, several of them that I went to seminary with, I feel like they were mom-called preachers. They ain't even in the ministry no more. Listen, mom don't call the preacher. God calls the preacher. And you find that out real quick. You find that out real quick. This is not an easy position to hold. It's not an easy place to serve. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I'm not running from any Jezebels who want to kill my life right now. Okay? But it's still challenging. There's still challenges. There are no mom-called preachers. And we also know that every gift, uh, you know, this, this gift of this uh, of the calling, God had already given that to Elisha, right? He had already given it to him because he told Elijah to go tell him, right? That was, we, I preached on that a few weeks ago. So Elisha just needed that confirmation. It wasn't that, you know, he just wanted to make sure, God, is this, is, is this me? Am I doing this for real? And God confirms that by him striking that water in that water park. And I want you to understand that God is the one who truly determines what falls to us. Scripture tells us in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And if we will wait on the Lord, follow hard after him, be mentored by a strong disciple and be led by the Spirit, we too will take hold of good gifts that are uh, for his glory. For we are his workmanship designed to do his good works. If we will listen to him. When our time comes for our works here on earth to be done, what will we leave behind for future generations to take hold of and use for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom? How are you investing in future generations and in upcoming generations? Are you only attending church? Are you only, or are you being the church? Are we being the church or are we just attending church? There's a difference. Are you showing an interest in someone as a spiritual apprentice? Are you desiring to be a mentor to those in their faith? That's where we should be. That's where we should be. And I want to encourage you today, if, if you have not, if you're not investing back into someone, do that. Don't put that off any longer. Commit to the Lord and give him your life. Don't just give him your Sunday. Don't just give him your Sunday mornings. Commit to the Lord. Give him your life. He is worthy of it. He is worthy of it. 
And if you give him your life, understand, God calls us to give of our lives to others. Invest in the next generation. 